Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, for the excitement of this time of the year. Thank you for Advent and the opportunity to embrace fully and completely the Advent conspiracy. Thank you, Lord, for coming into the world. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that and taking on flesh, taking on humanity so that we might be saved. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds as we share together around these passages this day. Through Christ we pray. Amen. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that next or tomorrow, the next day, is the first Sunday or the first day of December, uh, the last month of the year, and that we are already into the season of Advent. Certainly, you would agree with me that the year has gone by very, very rapidly, and now we enter the last month of the year. We celebrate the fact that God took on the form of humanity, that Jesus Christ came to earth so that we might be saved from our sins. It was eight years ago that five pastors imagined a better Christmas celebration, a better Christmas practice for their own communities. And thus, Advent Conspiracy was born, which has now become a sizable movement, an Advent conspiracy that focuses more on relationships rather than consumerism and consumption, a movement of people and congregations choosing to resist the way the cultural celebrates Christmas. And we, the worship leaders and worship planners have decided for this year to join that Advent conspiracy and then to focus on worshiping fully, spending less, give more, and love all. So we are doing that in five parts. The four Sundays of Advent beginning today with call to be sent and then the next Sundays of Advent and finishing with the last Sunday of December to with love all. Now, it was after the death and the resurrection of Jesus that the 11 disciples, as they were gathered together, that they were frightened. They were frightened and scared, very scared, in fact. And this is the first blanks, the first two blanks in your, in your bulletin if you're jotting down the answers that are on the last page of your bulletin or the the message notes. And the Apostle John records that they were so afraid that they not only met in an out-of-the-way place, they met behind locked doors. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders had crucified their master Jesus, and therefore it was logical for them to assume that if they crucified their master, that next they would be coming after them as the followers of Jesus, that they would attempt to annihilate them. And therefore, as they gathered together, the fear in the room was palpable. And there was no way to deny the fact that these disciples were really, really scared. They had a reasonable fear 
that the Jews would come after them, and this was not the time to take any chances whatsoever because they had put Jesus to death on the cross outside the city of Jerusalem. So in their minds, they were sure that they would be next. They would be, that the Jewish leaders would be on the lookout for them also. So Luke describes the story of, in chapter 24, and we'll look at the latter part of chapter 24, but Luke describes the story of two downcast disciples on the way to Emmaus. And as they were on the way to this town, Emmaus, and we aren't sure exactly where this town is, they were discussing the events that happened and were very upset and discouraged by what had happened. And as they were on the way, a stranger joined them. But, and it was Jesus, but they did not recognize that it was Jesus. And it was only when they were in the home when they were in Emmaus, and as they were partaking of the meal, and as they broke the bread and offered it as the stranger offered the thanks, that then they recognized, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized that indeed this stranger was Jesus, the one who had been crucified. And so certainly and rapidly, they quickly I'm sure their steps were were a lot faster going back to Jerusalem after they realized that Jesus was alive, Jesus was among them. They were no longer downcast. They went back to Jerusalem to tell the story of how they had met this stranger who was Jesus. So now we'll look at the scripture from Luke 24, verses 35 to 48, page 1000. 48 in your pew Bible. And I've asked Anna to read the scripture. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me. And see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. 
Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Thank you very much, Anna. Suddenly, as they were describing, these two disciples were describing to the other disciples what had happened in Emmaus and what had happened as they were on the way to Emmaus, Jesus stood there among them. In the midst of their fear, in the midst of their trepidation, as they had gathered together, Jesus came among them and said, Peace be with you. They too were frightened again. And they thought they were seeing a ghost. So he showed them his hands and his feet where the nails had pierced them and he had been nailed to the cross. They were more comfortable in their unbelief, in their doubt. They still did not understand that Jesus was there among them. They still had a difficult time believing that this indeed was Jesus whom was crucified outside the city. They were more at home in their doubt, in their distrust, in their misunderstanding than in faith. They were not prepared to step out into the realm of faith. So Jesus, we find, does not verbally try to convince them that he is the risen Christ. He doesn't get into some discussion. Instead, he asks them, he asks them for something to eat. And when they handed him a piece of broiled fish, he ate it while they watched because ghosts do not have bodies and ghosts do not eat food. And that's what he did to prove that indeed he is not a ghost. Jesus accepted where they were. He accepted where they were and didn't try to convince them otherwise, at least not verbally. He demonstrated that he indeed is the, uh, has a body, that he indeed is Jesus, flesh and blood who is now among them. On the way to Emmaus, when they didn't understand, when the two disciples didn't understand, he chided them a bit. He scolded them slightly for not believing the script, their scriptures in the Old Testament. But here he does not chide them, he does not scold them, that they were unable in their doubt and in their fear that they were unable to fathom 
that Jesus was now the resurrected one and is now among them physically. And at that point, he also proclaimed that he was not a ghost, that they were standing there as they stood there in their disbelief, but also they were filled with joy and with wonder. Now we too, we also, like the early disciples, have times of doubt and of fear. As we are called to share the good news, as we are called to be sent, we too have times of fear. We might reflect on, well, what will other people think? Or what will they say? And if they respond a certain way, how will I know how to respond if I share what Jesus has done in my life? Or we might say, I need more training. I need more skills so that I know exactly how to go about witnessing, how to go about sharing my testimony as I, as I go about my life and my work. We want to be sure that we have the methods down and that we have it all intact as we share the gospel. A couple years ago, Conrad Kanegi and Talan Bienye and Richard Showalter did a survey, a large survey, of a number of churches in the global south and then compared that survey with churches in the Lancaster Mennonite Conference. And ironically, it was the Lancaster Mennonite Conference that helped to plant a number of those churches in the global south. And the survey revealed that 71% of members of the Anabaptist churches in India and Honduras, that was the highest, 71% in India and Honduras invite non-Christians to worship services two to three times a month. 71% invite non-believers, unbelievers, to worship services two to three times a month. Can you guess? Would you like to guess what it was for the members of the Lancaster Conference, Lancaster Mennonite Conference churches? It was only 16%, not 71 only 16% of us invite unbelievers to churches two to three times a month. The authors say, and I quote, for most of the non-Western participants, it is clear that mission is something they are experiencing in their own backyards. They are inviting people to church, witnessing to them, and bringing them to faith in Christ. And then they say, this missional fire is most evident in the younger churches, end of quote. For many of us here in the West, and when I refer to the West, I'm talking about North America and also Europe. The rest of the world is pretty much the, the global south, south of the equator, and that's what we refer to when we're talking about the global south. But in the West, we are afraid to be singled out. 
We are afraid of the persecution that will follow. The survey of churches indicates that the two churches with the highest levels of personal evangelism also have experienced the most intense persecution as a result of reaching out. The authors again say, and I quote, perhaps this is because opposition to one's faith creates opportunities to witness more frequently. One's motivation to witness is greater when under fire or outspoken witness creates persecution, end of quote. We, we as believers, we as Christians, we as disciples of Jesus are called to him, but we're called to be sent. We are called into the kingdom of God, or as Paul says to the Thessalonians, we are called and we are the children of the day. And as we are called into the, into the kingdom, we are called to share the gospel and not to keep it to ourselves. We are called to release the gospel, to release the gospel and to share it. Jesus takes the disciples into the same mandate. He invites the disciples into the same mandate that he had. He was sent into the world by the Father. Our God is a missional God. He was sent into the world by the Father, and now Jesus invites them into the mandate that he was given, called to be sent. Now, whether you are a social worker, whether you are a business owner, whether you work in the office, whether you're an information technology person, whether you're a farmer or an electrician, whatever you do, that is your vacation. But as part of that vacation, God also calls you to invite others to Jesus. So I'm not talking in this message, I'm not talking about going to a different country. Other countries instead have come to us. And I'm talking about witnessing, I'm talking about sharing the gospel across the cultures that are part of our own nation at this time. We are called, we are called to give witness of the work of Jesus in our lives. We are called to build a relationship to others, and then out of that relationship to invite persons into a relationship with Jesus. One of the main thoughts or one of the main ideas of this entire gospel, of the gospel of John, is that the Father has sent the Son. And now at this special time and this solemn moment on the first Easter as the writer of the Gospel of John puts it, God invites, or Jesus sends the disciples. Jesus had accomplished his mission. He had fulfilled the goal of his Father, and now Jesus is sending out the disciples. We are the ones who are called to be sent. We are sent, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, the last part of that verse, 
you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Or another translation puts it, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called us from the darkness so that we can walk into the light of Christ, into God's wonderful light. And Paul writes about being sent as he tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.20, so we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. So as we go about our lives, God is proclaiming his message through us. Have you thought about it? That since Christ is gone, God has no other way to present the message of Christ than us. God has no other way than the church to share the gospel, to share the message of Christ. This George Schultz, who was Secretary of State way back during President Reagan's administration. And when the newly appointed ambassador had an interview with the Secretary of State, George Schultz, and when they were returning from their assignments and had uh, an interview with him in his office for their first visit, as they were leaving, Secretary Schultz would test them. And he would say, you have to go over to the globe and prove to me that you can identify where your country is. And so they would go over to the globe that he had in his office, they would spin the globe, and then put their finger perfectly on where their country is that they had been serving where they were coming from. And when Schultz's old friend, Mike Mansfield, was appointed ambassador to to Japan, even he was put to the test by Secretary Schultz. This time, however, Mansfield spun the globe and he put his country or his his hand on the United States. And he said, that's my country. And Schultz ever since told that story to all the ambassadors who were going out And he would say to them, never forget that you're over in that country, but your country is the United States of America. You are there to represent us, take care of our interests, and never forget that you are representing the best country in the world. As an ambassador goes to another nation, He or she is representing his or her own country at home. We are on this earth, but we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. We represent the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven And that's the country that we represent as we are here on this earth. We turn then to John 20, 19 to 21. John 20, 19 to 21. 
On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So John reports that Jesus commissioned the disciples to go forth in the same way that he had been sent. Then he breathed on them. Then he breathed on them in verse 22 and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a divine commissioning. And it harkens back to the time of creation when it was formless and void, darkness, and God's spirit breathed. The wind of God came upon the chaos, hovered over the waters, over the chaos. The spirit of God, and another word for spirit, is the wind of God hovered over the chaos. And Jesus knew that they would be unable to do the work of witnessing without the power and without the anointing of the Spirit of God. And so he breathed on them and gave them the Spirit. He would be gone, but the Spirit of God is with them. Jesus says in John fourteen twelve, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. We, Jesus is with the Father, but we, by the anointing of the Spirit, are even able to do greater works than the work of Jesus. The 16th century Anabaptists were an evangelistic community, and they had a burning passion for inviting others who did not know Jesus, for inviting others into the kingdom of God. And during the early Anabaptist movement, the church spread very rapidly, almost like the apostolic church, the church here right after Jesus was present. And the Anabaptists wandered as pilgrims, spreading the faith, and also disbanding or spreading as a result of the persecution. Wherever they went, these persecuted Anabaptists shared the message of Jesus. And another reason the Anabaptist movement flourished is the severe persecution. I'm aware that the Nolt, my Nolt ancestors left Switzerland in the late 1600s and settled in the Palatinate, which is part of Germany, for a generation or two before coming to the United States in 1728. And perhaps one of the reasons why the Anabaptists in the U.S. became, as what some historians refer to, became the quiet in the land is because of the intense persecution that they had experienced in Europe. And so the focus, as they came here, was on getting along with the Native Americans, was on tilling the wonderful and productive soil. 
and was not the focus on sharing their faith. But, sisters and brothers, we are called in the kingdom. We are called to be sent. We, like the ambassadors set out from the Secretary Schultz's office, we are sent to a foreign culture. We are sent to give witness to the birth of Jesus and the work of Jesus in our own lives. We are sent to show to a watching world a different way, a different way of celebrating Christmas. Yes, at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that God sent Jesus into the world. And now the Son, by the power of the Spirit, has sent us into the world. May we rejoice at this special season of the year as we live for the praise and adoration of Jesus. And may we embrace fully and completely incarnate the Advent conspiracy of worshiping fully, spending less, giving more, and loving all. Amen.